1 Kings chapter 22. I'm going to read the first 40 verses. That is a long section for us to read and I'm going to preach on those 40 verses this evening because it is one whole story. It concerns the death of Ahab. Let's hear then the word of God. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such a thing. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah the son of Imlah quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you will gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear? that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by in his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may, he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. 
Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me and to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return into Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction, until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariots, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armour. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take, out, take me, out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his city, every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlot, where the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this sad and tragic event of the death of Ahab, we ask our God that you would grant us grace to hear what you are saying to us. Why this portion of scripture is recorded for us in your word. Lord, instruct us Make us wise and keep us from the sin of this man, Ahab, we pray. 
Grant us ears then to hear your word this night. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In chapter 21 and verse 19, Elijah had said to Ahab, in the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. In chapter 20 and verse 42, an unnamed prophet, some think it may have been Micaiah, but we can't be certain, but there in chapter 20 and verse 42, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to other destruction, therefore your life, Ahab, shall go for his life and your people for his people. Once, twice, and now a third time, through Micaiah, Ahab's death is prophesied. There is no escape for Ahab. Here in verse 19 of chapter 22, Hear the word of the Lord, says Micaiah, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And then it goes on in verse 20, And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? God's judgment begins with the tragic death of Ahab. God's judgment is against Ahab and he's going to wipe out his entire dynasty. This is the beginning of the end of Ahab and his dynasty. I want us to look at firstly Ahab's grand plan, then secondly his defiant disobedience, and then God's fulfilled word. Thirdly, before we spell out some of the implications for us. Firstly then, Ahab's grand plan. Perhaps spurred on by the memory of two victories against the Syrians before, Ahab now dreams of a third victory. He dreams of securing the border town of Ramoth-Gilead. No doubt it was a valuable trading route and if he was able to possess it, there would be taxes that would fill the royal revenues. You may remember that the Syrians had uh, been defeated because they, they had the interpretation, well, God is a God of the hills, God is a God of the valleys. And they had been routed. And maybe then this man Ahab thought, I'll go to war again against the Syrians. Three years since we had a, a fight, I'll go to war. And he enlists. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had foolishly made a treaty with Ahab. He had married his son to his daughter, Athaliah. And she's out of the sea. She's the same ilk as Jezebel. But Jehoshaphat is there. And Jehoshaphat is enlisted. Now, Jehoshaphat is a relatively pious man. And he wants confirmation. He says, verse 5, inquire of the Lord for us whether we should go up. We shouldn't do this, Ahab, unless we have a clear word from the Lord. Ahab is very happy to oblige. He brings on not one, not two, but 400 of his prophets. But they're Ahab's yes men. They tell him what he wants to hear. 
Go up, verse 6, for the Lord will deliver it, that is, Ramoth Gilead, into the hand of the king. Jehoshaphat's suspicious, he smells a rat. And he, he knows what Ahab is really like. And he says, well look, is there a true prophet of the Lord anywhere in Israel? We want to listen to him. And at that point you can imagine Ahab must have groaned inside. Oh no, not that man again. He knows the man that he is now to summon. It's not Elijah. You can't find Elijah. You never know where he is. He turns up in the most inconvenient places like Naboth's vineyard when you least expect him. But he knows there is a man. He knows where he lives. It's Micaiah. And he sends immediately for Micaiah. And verse 8, when we read of Ahab's response, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. You know that Micaiah is a good man. You know that he's a faithful man. He's already confronted this man on other occasions, whether it was chapter 20 or not, we don't know. But Micaiah is well known to Ahab, and Ahab is well known to Micaiah. So the scene is set. Here is Ahab's grand plan. We will go against the Syrians, we will take Ramoth Gilead, and we will then go victoriously. And that is the word that his prophets bring to him. Now you might think that Ahab is in a class of his own when it comes to his attitude as seen in verse 8 where he says he hates him, he hates Micaiah because he does not prophesy good concerning me. And you might say, well, there's no one like that in this church, in this congregation. This is something a million miles removed. We will be deceiving ourselves. There are times when we feel a resentment and we put up a barrier against the word of God. There are times when we do not like a ministry that cuts across the grain. There are preachers who will tell men and women what they want to hear. But a faithful man of God will never, ever descend to that level. And Micaiah was not that kind of man. Ahab found a man like Micaiah irksome because he often made him feel bad he often exposed his sin he always ruffled Ahab's feathers and would not give him any peace but then that of course is what true prophets do it's false prophets who say peace, peace when there is no peace it's the true prophet who comes along and upsets the apple cart. Ahabs are found in almost every single church and in almost every single congregation. Because none of us like being rebuked, none of us like our conscience being pricked, None of us like being called to repentance and called to change our ways. 
What we need to pray for is a spirit that is contrary to Ahab. That God will give us a fresh awareness that every time we are confronted with the words of the living God, that we would come with a meek and a teachable spirit, eager to hear what the Lord has to say to us. And we effectively say to Mr. Preacher, you preach the word of God to me. I want to hear the words of the living God. And if you preach it faithfully, if you draw blood and make wounds in my heart, then so be it. If that is the way that I am going to get to heaven, if that is the way I am going to be conformed to Christ, if that is the way I am going to be taken away from my sin and lead a holy life, then so be it. If you wound me before you pour in the balm and you comfort me, then so be it. Ahab was not that man. I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but only evil. There is a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Micaiah was not regarded as a friend by Ahab. I hate him. Anyway, there is Ahab's grand plan. What about Ahab's defiant disobedience? It's here in verses 11 to 28. This is the heart of this chapter. It's a fascinating and a graphic description of events. Here are two kings on their thrones, on Megiddo thrones, in the city gates of Samaria, this threshing floor. There they are, and there are the 400 prophets. There's a great congregation gathered there. And no doubt there are other people in Samaria who are onlookers. And there is one man who is going to come in amongst that assembly, Micaiah. And he is going to speak the word of the living God. It was a very intimidating situation. Well, while Micaiah is on his way, summoned by an officer of the king, let's imagine this scene now. Imagine it's a stage. It's a theatre. It's a stage. Enter stage right. Zedekiah with a pair of iron horns. He comes on and he stands before Ahab and he says, Thus says the Lord, with these horns you will gore the Syrians. That's pretty impressive stuff. Because what he's doing, he's actually invoking. He's actually using Bible language. He's using an old prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 17 regarding the tribe of Joseph. This is what it says. His glory is like the firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. He had this illusion. He sounded genuine. And all the other prophets, all the other foreigners, yes, they gave him their applause. Yes, Ahab, this is right. You go ahead. You go those Syrians. And yet this man turns out to be a false prophet. 
but he's using the Bible. So he must be genuine, mustn't he? No. He comes with a, thus says the Lord. Surely that means he's genuine. No. But I imagine that Ahab was very, very pleased with Zedekiah. He is taken in by him. He wants to hear what Zedekiah has to say because it will confirm him. But then we learn later on that Ahab is being deceived by this man. He's a false prophet. And we must be careful. False prophets and false teachers abound. And they're not stupid. They don't come with a big label on them. I am a false prophet. They use the Bible. They sound as if they are right. They even claim they have the Spirit of God. They speak as if they are speaking the voice of God. They sound like and they look like the real thing. And Zedekiah believes he's the real thing. He actually rebuked Micaiah and hit him across the mouth in verse 24 and said, which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to you, to speak to you? I've got the Spirit of God, he's saying. I'm a prophet of the Lord. I use the Bible. Who do you think you are? And everyone there, including Ahab, is taken in by this Zedekiah. Backstage, Micaiah has arrived. He gets a prompt from the royal officer who's brought him. Now he says, don't ruin the day, Micaiah. Be positive. Everyone's told they have go up to Ramoth Gilead. You're going to win. He gets very short shrift from Micaiah. Look at verse 14. As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And at that point, if you are reading this with any sensitivity, you have one of those uh-oh moments. Here is a head-on collision. It's coming. How is it going to work out? You know the outcome. But if you were reading this for the first time, and you didn't know what the outcome was, you would be anticipating, you'd be on the edge of your seat, wondering what is going to happen now. This is going to be a big head-on collision. This man, Micaiah, is not Ahab's yes man. He's not the kind of man who will tell him just what he wants to hear. He is a servant of the Lord. He is a bond slave of the God of Israel. And he will speak his word and only what the Lord says to him. So, Enter stage left, Micaiah. And he comes in and he takes centre stage before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And there he is, with all this vast assembly, all these false prophets. There is Zedekiah standing probably by the king. He seems to be the chief false prophet. And Micaiah comes. And then he begins to speak. And we have to use our imagination. It would be lovely to have an audio-visual of, 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 and see the face and hear the words coming out of Micaiah's lips and looking at the voice, uh, looking rather at the face of Ahab as he hears what Micaiah has to say. Ahab addresses him. Shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead? Micaiah. And Micaiah sarcastically replies, Go and prosper, Ahab. The Lord will deliver you. 
Ahab is doing this inside. He is really irked again. He is really angry with this man. He is exasperated. Ahab says, this is par for the course. Hey, Micaiah, we've been down this track so many times before. How many times have I got to tell you and make you swear that when you speak, you will speak the word that you have been given. Stop this nonsense. Well, Micaiah then takes his cue from Ahab. He doesn't need any prompting now. Verse 17. He gives a devastating picture. A picture of a leaderless Israel. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, that each return to his house in peace. It's a word directed straight at Ahab. And if Micaiah was the man I think he was, he looked him straight in the eye. So that Ahab would clearly understand that he was speaking about him. It's a word of judgment because it speaks of his death. There is no one to lead Israel. They're all scattered. It's prophesying his death. Israel will only have peace, ironically, when Ahab is removed from the scene. And Ahab gets the message. There's no mistaking this. Immediately he says to Jehoshaphat, he turns to him on his throne and says, See Jehoshaphat, just like I told you, this man never has a good thing to say about me. He's always wrong. He's always, he's always making me feel bad. Always telling me that I'm in the wrong. Never good. Now you might say, wait a moment, can we justify Micaiah's sarcasm? And his seeming offhandness. Yeah, go off then, come on, go on, go up. Was that the right way to handle Ahab? I would suggest to you it was because he was answering this fool according to his folly. There's a proverb that speaks in that way. Ahab, remember, had no intention of listening to the word of the Lord from Micaiah. He was bent on going up to Ramoth Gilead. He had spent the last 22 years of his life in active defiance of God and of his God and of the God of Israel and of God's servants, Elijah, Micaiah and any others of the prophets who spoke to him. There had been one brief moment of humility three years before when Elijah had spoken to him and he had humbled himself before God and tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and mourned. But it didn't last. It didn't last. He was defiant in his disobedience. That was the character of his entire life and reign. It is written all over his reign. Defiant disobedience. Ahab repeatedly and consistently has shut the word of God out of his life. He has gone way beyond the point of obedience. 
It is outright rejection of God's word. There is a terrible spiritual deadness about this man and insensitivity about this man when it comes to God and to his word. There is godlessness on the one hand, but there is an arrogant godlessness on the other hand that holds God's word and holds God's servant in utter contempt. And you may say, is this man blind? Can't he see? That is the whole point. He is blind. He is spiritually blind. God has given him over to a spirit of blindness. And he cannot and will not be able to see. But Micaiah is not yet finished. No one else enters onto the stage. No one leaves the stage. But Micaiah says, look up. Look up to the throne room of heaven. And he recounts a vision that he has had. A message from God. It is a dramatic revelation. There in verse 19. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. You're sitting on your thrones. I saw the Lord in heaven sitting upon his throne. And all the hosts of heaven were standing by on his right and on his left. He said, I heard the word of the Lord. I heard him speak. And he said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? One spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him, and also prevail. Go out, and do so. And then, perhaps, with a sweep of his arm, and looking around that entire gathering of false prophets, he says, Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you, Ahab. That is a word of terrifying divine judgment. It tells him that he's going to die for his sin. There's no deception here on the part of God. He speaks plainly. But Ahab has no intention of heeding. And Micaiah feels the wrath of Zedekiah. Zedekiah went up to him and struck him across the mouth with which he had just spoken. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Can you hear the contempt? And what does Micaiah say? He doesn't rail upon Zedekiah and rant at him and lose his temper with him. He says, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. You're going to be brought down as well, Zedekiah. But Ahab has no intention of heeding that blindness has affected both of his eyes. 
He cannot see any further than a victory at Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab is now on his way to battle. He confines Micaiah to prison. Put him in prison. Take him back to my servant. Put him in prison. Give him the bread of affliction. Give him the water of affliction. Give him meager substance until I return in peace. But Micaiah has the final word. If you return in peace, then you will know that I have not spoken a word from the Lord. I'm turning for the last time to all the people. Take heed, all you people. You've heard all these things. You've seen these things. You assess. You judge. Ahab goes out to Ramoth Gilead. Defiant, headstrong, blinded. He's not play-acting. He is real. He is determined. He is convinced that he is doing the right thing. But he is set in his way of wickedness, having arrogantly rejected the word of the Lord yet again. Yet again. So we see, thirdly, God's fulfilled word. Did Ahab really think that he could defy God in this way? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's the extent of his blindness. That's the folly to which sin drives a man who has defiantly disobeyed God for more than two decades. Here is he in the height of his wickedness. But whose word will win the day? Is Ahab going to fulfill his great plan? Are these 400 prophets and Zedekiah, are they going to be proved right? Or is God's word going to be proven to be true and right? Micaiah has said, wait and see. If you come back, then you will know that I am no prophet. The scene changes. We're now on the battlefield of Ramoth Gilead. Verses 29 to 36. Ahab does a very strange thing. Do you remember when we read what he did? He takes out an extra insurance policy just in case. Jehoshaphat, you dress up in your royal regalia. You go in your royal chariot. I'm going to disguise myself as an ordinary soldier. (laughs) He's got his doubts. It's an extra insurance policy. And now the tension is rising. If you don't know the outcome of the story, well, will he escape? Will he escape after all? No. Well, Syria has difficulty in locating the king of Israel. They first of all go after Jehoshaphat and then they realise he's not our target. Let's find the king of Israel. They don't find him. And we are simply told there in verse 34. A certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armour. A random shot from an ordinary soldier in the Syrian army. And the wicked arrogance of Ahab is silenced. The arrow hits him in a chink 
in his armour. The man wasn't even taking aim. But that arrow hit him. And that arrow was responsible for his death. But it isn't the arrows, it's the word of God. It's the decree of God. It's the word of divine judgment being fulfilled. Ahab is there in his chariot. He is wounded. He is dying. There is blood all over the chariot floor and the walls of the chariot. And by the evening he is dead. He's taken back to Samaria and they bury him the same day. And then almost incidentally, but it is not incidental, it is the most important verse in the entire chapter. We read verse 38, Someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. The very word that Elijah had said. Ahab, the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, they'll lick your blood. The pool of Samaria, the dogs licked up his blood. Did you ever think it would be otherwise? You believe the word of God? You've seen Ahab's attempts to evade, even his folly in trying to disguise himself. But an arrow shot at random is enough to fulfill the word of God. So Elijah's word is fulfilled, the unnamed prophet's word is fulfilled, and Micaiah's word is fulfilled. We're not told what happened back in Samaria with the false prophets. Micaiah had said, wait and see. The king came back as it were in a coffin. He was buried the very same day. Did they take heed? Did they take note? We're not told. But Ahab's grand plan is in shreds. He's not only a ruined man, he's a dead man. And because of his life of defiant obedience, he has died in that state of defiant obedience, having been deceived by all those false prophets. He has refused the word of God again and again and again and has died under the judgment of God in his sin and the word of God has been fulfilled that is sobering this is a dramatic part of God's word God's word stands and no one can stand against that word in the light of what we have read in these 40 verses and what I've just covered in the last half an hour or so in this sermon, let me conclude by drawing out four words. Words that will be words of instruction, warning, encouragement and exhortation. Things that we need to learn, things that we need to take on board 
for ourselves. We must never read a chapter of scripture like this and preach from it and then say, okay, so what? That is more of the spirit of Ahab and the spirit of a true child of God. There's a word of instruction, first of all, for us here. Let us learn what it really, what really matters in a person's life. In verses 39 and 40 we are told about the other acts of Ahab and all that he did. The ivory house which he built, that was luxury. Ivory was luxury, sheer luxury. All the cities that he built, maybe for military purposes, defence purposes, well, he says, we're not concerned with them. They're written in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. A couple of verses, a few words about all these other achievements. And yet we've got six chapters about this man and his idolatry and his promotion of idolatry and his refusal and his persistent refusal to hear the word of the Lord. A writer could have filled volumes with ivory houses and his palaces. Could have written about what he did with Naboth's vineyard and his farming ventures. Could have filled volumes. The Bible's not interested in those things. God does not record those things for us. We have these chapters on Ahab. And they record his persistent wickedness. And God's repeated confrontation through one prophet and another. And the mercy of God that called him to repentance. And yet there is only one moment when he seems to be moving anywhere in the right direction. But it doesn't last five minutes. What matters in a person's life? Be wise, my brothers and sisters. Be wise. What matters is whether you are a godly man, a godly woman, who responds obediently to the word of God. Ahab is there as a warning. The scriptures are given to us to warn us, in order that we might not imitate. But here is a word of instruction. What is important in a man or a woman's life? Do you love and obey God and love and obey His Word and respond positively to God's Word even when it goes against the grain, even when it strikes into your conscience and convicts you of your sin? Are you a Matthew 7:24 man or woman? A man or woman who builds his house upon the rock, who hears the words of Christ and doesn't. Or are you a Matthew, 26, uh, 20, uh, Matthew 7, 26 man or woman who builds their house upon a sand because they do not pay any attention to the word of Christ? A word of instruction, but also a word of warning. See where this man's persistent disobedience brought him. He dies a deceived man, he dies in his sins. We read in the Bible not only of good examples to follow, but of bad examples to avoid. This man was spiritually 
blind. And the light of what we find in other passages of Scripture, I believe we can justly say that that spiritual blindness was a judgment upon God on this man because of his repeated refusal to hear the word of God. And God gave him over to his sin. God gave him men who would tell him what he wanted to hear because he would no longer hear the voice of the living God. If Ahab insists on being devious in his dealings with God, God will outwit him and bring a judgment upon him that is justly deserved. That word came to him again and again, but it made no impact upon him. I say, take heed. Beware lest hearing the word of God becomes a formality and a habit to you. And not a good habit, because you shrug it off. You don't take heed to all that is being said. You hear it, and there are certain parts of it that you do nothing about. Let me speak to those of you who are parents. If you become the kind of hearer, or begin to become the kind of hearer that is rather like Ahab, your children will discern it. They'll pick it up. They'll pick it up that mum and dad are the kind of people who hear these things, but they don't do a great deal about it. Maybe they hear a sermon about gossip, or a sermon about anger. And you show anger, or you gossip. And they think to themselves, there's a sermon about that. Doesn't it have any effect on mum and dad? What are they going to conclude? What deductions are they going to make? Is it any surprise if that kind of thing goes on that they say, it's Christianity, there's nothing in it. You can hear all these things, but it doesn't have any impact upon my mum and dad. So why should it have any impact upon me? Now in saying that, that of course is not the only reason why some children turn away and will not believe. But it is one very real possible reason. It's a word of warning. Ahab stands as that person who warns us. Don't hear the word of God and descend into hearing it simply as a formality. But let me challenge my tone now and give you a word of encouragement. Not a word of instruction, a word of warning, now a word of encouragement. The word of encouragement is here. Look, God's words of judgment do not fall to the ground forgotten. His words of judgment are as reliable as his words of promise. God can use even lying prophets, false prophets, for his own ends. He's not the author of evil. 
And he sends then his own men who declare the truth. But the encouragement is that God's word stands and it stands forever. Whatever the wickedness, whatever the great plans, wicked men and women may make, God's word stands. And that is balas for our ship as we live in days of wickedness. Micaiah said, wait and see. Wait and see. If Ahab returns, then you will know that I am not a false prophet. And sometimes we have to say to ourselves in faith, wait and see. We see godlessness thriving. We see wickedness prospering. And we say to ourselves like Asaph in Psalm 73, what is the point? But the encouragement is that the word of the Lord stands and he will not be deterred from keeping and fulfilling his word. Therefore we should not lose heart. We should hold fast in faith. The kingdom of Christ will triumph. Those battles rage on every side. Almost every doctrine of the word of God is under attack today. But will not this word prove to be what it says it is? The word of God? Has the word of God changed? Has the word of God been altered in some way or other? Has God made a mistake and now got it all wrong? And men are wiser than he is? His word stands. The biblical standards of morality were assailed and rejected. Do men and women think they can set aside the Ten Commandments? Do men and women think they can set aside human sinfulness and not come face to face with God and give an account to Him? Men laugh at hell. Men and women scorn sin. But God's Word stands. Let us stand by that word and let us live in faith and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. And then finally a word of exhortation. Micaiah's and Elijah's are rare. They were rare in Ahab's day. They are rare in this day. But they were there. Men of God. Elijah was hopelessly outnumbered on Mount Carmel. Micaiah was hopelessly outnumbered in that make-do court, palace, in the gate of Samaria. But they were both bold and principled men. They were persecuted. They were hunted. Micaiah was stuck across the mouth. He was put in prison. But he was a faithful as well as Elijah. They were faithful, bond slaves of Jesus Christ. And they were prepared to be a lone voice in the midst of wickedness. And being a lone voice is sometimes not a very comfortable place to be in. But are you prepared to imitate these men? Are you prepared to be a lone voice in the place where you work, among your neighbours, among your colleagues? 
If you are following Christ, you will always be under pressure to conform and to compromise. We will see how Jehoshaphat compromised. He ought not to have been there with Ahab at all. He fell in with Ahab and fell in with wickedness and compromised his position. But Micaiah and Elijah were prepared to stand and to stand alone. And I exhort you in the name of Christ, be prepared in this day and age to stand alone and boldly witness for your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And pray particularly for those men who are preachers and teachers of the Word of God. They too are peculiarly under pressure and temptation to compromise. There are times when they have to stand alone and proclaim the Word of God. I can think of a number of occasions when I as a preacher and a pastor and as a representative of this church have met with people in this town for various reasons and I've been a lone voice. It's not a comfortable place to be in. But I tell you it's a great deal more comfortable when you lay down your head on your pillow at night with a clear conscience. That is what it may cost. It costs to serve Christ. It cost Elijah, it cost Micaiah. But who were they serving? Ahab? No. They were serving the God who had called them and sent them. May God give us grace. Let us heed these words of instruction and warning and encouragement and exhortation. May we be godly men and women in this wicked day and age. Amen. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would make us bold, godly men and women who are willing to stand alone in this world for the sake of Jesus Christ, who are willing to take up the cross and follow after him. We ask our God that you would make us more and more like him, conforming us to his will, to his image. And Lord, we ask that we may not give way and give way to the sin that overcame Ahab. We might always be diligent hearers and doers of your word. Lord, be gracious to us. Be merciful to us. For we cry out unto you and ask that you will be our guide, you will be our strength, you will be our rock and our refuge in these days in which we live, that we may honour and glorify Christ who has redeemed us with his blood. We pray in his name. Amen.